Christ who welcomed in the multitudes welcomes us to his presence today. So as a church, let's now bow our hearts in prayer and ask for his help in our midst. Pray with me. Almighty God, we come before you and we praise you for welcoming us to bring our needs before you. Father, today we pray for kings in this world and all who are in authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, dignified and godly in every way. Father, we as a church this morning pray for our president, Joe Biden, as he is president in this country. We pray that you'd give him health and a clear mind to lead our country. We pray that you'd allow him to govern with equity. Father, we pray for our local government. We pray for Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. We realize that you have established his authority as well. So we ask that you would help him as he leads. Father, may he oversee our government with wisdom. Father, as we think of authority, we also think of the authorities that you have put place in this local church. And so, Father, as a body right now, we pray for our elders, that you would guide our elders as they shepherd our flock. Father, we pray for Bob Lutz and Julian Chapman, Keith Baker, Bruce Case, and myself. We pray, O God, that you would guide our elders, that you would protect these men and their families, and that you would give them a pure devotion to Jesus Christ that would allow them to minister well to this body. Father, would you raise up more elders in our church and guide our church as we identify them? Father, we thank you for the authority of King Jesus Christ. We thank you for his care for us. Father, as Bruce has already prayed, our hearts are with Desmond and Joan this morning. We pray, O God, that you would continue to care for our brother as his body fails him. O God, give him great faith in your son. May he look with a confident hope and expectation to his final resurrection with Christ. O God, be with our sister Joan as she walks through this difficult day with her husband. Sustain her, O God. May our church love her as the body. Would she look to Christ even now, we pray. Father, now as we as a body come before your word, we want to sit under your word and learn. God, would you work in our midst right now? Would you teach us? Would you open our eyes to see clearly? May our hearts be convicted. May we see Jesus Christ clearly. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, authority matters. For good or for bad, authority has significant consequence, does it not? Consider the good. Uh, Ernest Shackleton was a captain of a ship in 1914 who led a crew of 28 men to explore Antarctica. The crew never made it. Their ship was caught in frozen ice and drifted off course. The boat was damaged and then ultimately abandoned. 
And after months of camping on the ice, Shackleton managed to lead his crew to an uninhabited nearby island. From there, he made the difficult decision to take an 800-mile open boat trip in a lifeboat to go search for help. He there in South Georgia secured help and returned himself again to rescue his crew. Shackleton used his position of authority to risk his own life first. And because of it, all of the lives of his crew were saved. Unfortunately, for every example of bad authority in our world today, we could probably name several abuses of authority, could we not? Our generation has taught us now to question all authority because we see the abuses so clearly. Visible examples constantly on display for us. Corrupt politicians, brutal police officers, or self-serving pastors, unfaithful parents. This week I ran into an online article which compiled real-life stories of horrible employers. One, co contributor, one contributor writes of how his boss was the epitome of being unapproachable. This is what he says. He says, my boss infamously kept an electronic ticket machine at his office. Employees were forced to take a number in order to be seen by their boss. Another contributor shares of a miserly boss who used to make his employees ask before they could use the restroom. And then he would time them. If they were gone for longer than five minutes, he'd add it, end up the time at the end of the week and make them use their vacation time. Authority, the power of influence in one's leadership, can be incredibly beautiful and selfless and trustworthy, or it can be incredibly dangerous and self-serving. I wonder, what would it look like to watch the use of authority in a way that was only ever employed with perfect consistency for the good of others. What would this authority look like? What would it look like to be perfectly good and yet also perfectly in control? To have unlimited access to power and yet never be tainted by the abuse of power. To never be pursuing any self-serving inclination. What would this look like? Would this type of, of perfect authority be embraced by those under it? Would this type of perfect authority be accessible? Or would you need a ticket to enter that office? Well, friends, today we don't have to wonder for long. Because Luke is going to show us this example of authority. He, he doesn't tell us today about a mythical person of authority, something that we can wishfully dream about. No, this week, yet again, we see the real historical person of Jesus Christ, who entered time and space and displayed perfect authority for his people. Grab your Bibles, if you haven't already, and open to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 31 through 44. 
Uh, Walt has already read a text for us this morning, so I'll merely just read sections as I work through the text. But today I want to convince you of the same point that I think Luke was making to the young disciple of Theophilus. I want to persuade you that Jesus' authority can be trusted. Some of you are here and you're still considering Christ. You're deciding if you want to follow him with your life. We're honored that you're here with us today. Today is just going to be a good morning to listen and discover who this Jesus Christ is. Others of you are in this room and you've been following Jesus for literally decades. Friends, for you, I want to convince you again that regardless of what you're going through in your life this week, and regardless of the challenges that are currently in your home and in your family and in your life, regardless of any unknowns that, that lay ahead of you, that Christ's authority can be trusted. Our passage begins with Jesus leaving Nazareth. Look at verse 31. He's leaving the city and he's ministering in Capernaum. We read, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So this is similar to a couple weeks ago where we saw that Jesus enters a synagogue and his, his teaching people. But unlike Nazareth, notice how these people responded. Verse 32 says they were astonished at his teaching because his word possessed authority. Matthew's account tells us that Jesus' words were not like the other scribes. His teaching was not like the other rabbis who would have commonly quoted people who were quoting people who were quoting people who were quoting people about what they thought about Scripture. No, Jesus was not a source of endless commentary. Instead, it was clear that Jesus' words about Scripture had authority in and of themselves. It was not a derived authority. It wasn't a dependent authority on someone else. His words stood on their own. I wonder if you realize what's actually happening here in that synagogue. The man who is speaking in that synagogue that day is the same one who had spoken in time past, and the world itself had come into existence. That's the one who's speaking. The, the, the stones that they're standing on in the synagogue were the stones that he had created by the authority of his words. And the law that he's explaining that day, <laughs> this law was the same one that, that he himself had given. It's the, the one that had been modeled after his own character. And so yes, Christ's words possessed authority as he taught. Friends, I want us to see this authority clearly. I want us to see that it can be trusted. Why should you trust Jesus' authority? Let me give you four points today from the text. Four reasons. Reason number one, you should trust Jesus' authority because its greatness is undeniable. This is what Luke sets out to show first. Christ's authority in this passage is, is recognized, it's acknowledged, it's seen clearly. Now, it might not com be completely understood, but it is unmistakable. We saw the, the greatness 
of his authority was acknowledged by the people as he taught, look at how this continues and is undeniable to even the spiritual realm as his teaching. Verse 33, we read there that in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So, so here Jesus is in this synagogue, and he's, he's teaching. And it seems that somewhere in this room, there was a man possessed by a demon. And, and we get the picture here that the demon can't help but respond to Jesus' teaching. He, he cries out with this loud voice saying, Ha! This is an emotive cry. It's a, it's a guttural reaction. It's almost like he's what, doing what James says, where he's, he's shuddering, knowing who God is. And immediately, this demon is afraid of what Jesus has come to do. He's afraid of destruction. Because he immediately recognizes that Jesus is the Holy One of God. He sees it plainly. Notice Jesus' response, verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. So immediately here, we see there is just no contest of authority here. Jesus is the one calling the shots, not this evil demon. The ba this battle was one that was over even before it began. Uh, by the way, you'll notice here, Jesus says for him to be silent. If you just scan down to verse 41, we see this theme again. Jesus commands these evil spirits to be silent, to, to not speak, telling others what they just immediately saw. I wonder why that is. Here's, here's what I think is happening in the text. I think that Jesus will be the one to define himself and not these demons. As one commentator notes, his words and his actions will speak for themselves. There's some sense that every demon recognizes his authority, but they are the wrong heralds of this king. So he won't let them speak. Regardless, Jesus, with his authority, immediately shuts them up. Verse 36, it's not lost when there's watching. They were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. This recognition, by the way, didn't just stop with those who were witnessing this in that village. Verse 37 goes on, the reports about him went into every place in the surrounding people. So, so here's the pattern that we see. The people see his teaching. The, the demons can't help but shudder at it. Then the demons can't help but obey it. And then the town marvels at it, and the surrounding country all hears of it. The authority of King Jesus is just undeniable. It is recognized by all. What about you? Do you recognize the authority of Jesus Christ? Do you see the greatness of his power? Too many, too many people today deny what the demons couldn't deny. 
Too often, we as humans in our sin are a bit like a child who, when caught doing something wrong, covers their eyes and hides, pretending that if they can't see their parents, their parents can't see them. The reality is, Christ's authority still reigns. His authority is completely sovereign. Whether or not you recognize it or not today, Jesus has complete power over every part of your life. He is completely in control. Do you recognize this in your life? Do you recognize his sovereign reign over every nook and cranny of your week? Worship him today for the authority, Jesus' authority is great and undeniable. Reason number two, why should we trust Christ's authority? Because its care is personal. Let's continue our story. Look down at verse 38. He arose and left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So, so Jesus here leaves the public space of the synagogue, and he enters this, this private home of Simon Peter. Interestingly, this is the first time that we meet Simon, who is later renamed, renamed by Jesus to be Peter. And here in his first meeting, Simon's family entreats Jesus for help. We read that his mother-in-law had a high fever. In the first century, a high fever would have been a life-threatening illness. So she was in dire need. And they, they appealed to him. They, they entreated them. They said, can you help? What a, what a tender moment this is. Imagine this. Imagine this, this rabbi who was just gaining recognition quickly came to your house. And there he was in your space, sitting on your favorite recliner in your living room. And he met your family. And you had an acute need. And you asked him for his help. Well, Jesus comes over to her bedside. Uh, Luke emphasizes that he stood over her. You get the picture that he, he was bending over. He was right there with her. Matthew and Mark mentioned that he, he picks up her hand tenderly. And then, as if he has authority over her body, as if he is the one that gets to call the shots with what happens to her, he rebukes the fever. Uh, this word rebuke, I, by the way, I don't think this is intended to show that there's some type of demon going on here. I don't even think this is a model for how we should speak to sicknesses today. I think this is meant to show us a vivid picture of the authority of the creator, which he uniquely has over every molecule of our bodies. He gets to speak and say, no, you stop there. He calls the shots. He speaks to his creation, and it obeys. His words are greater than the demons, and his words are greater than diseases. But what happens? That the fever left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve. So the effect here is just instantaneous. There, there, there's no delay. As I read that, I'm just reminded of Isaiah 55, 11. 
which teaches that God's words always accomplish their purpose. Christians explain this idea by saying that God's words are efficacious. What this merely means is that God's words always have their intended effect. They are consistently effective for what he designs them to do. They, without fail, accomplish his purposes. And here he intended to heal this woman. And so he speak, and immediately she was healed. Luke, the, the careful documenter of what's happening, shows the evidence. She immediately rose and began to serve them. No one could deny this. She was healed. One minute she's lying in bed, perhaps even dying. The next minute she's up. She's serving around the house. She's serving these guests. Now, now there's, there's so much to, to think about with Christ's authority, even in this moment. But let me just underscore just one point. Notice the personal nature of our king's reign here. Did you see it? Did you see the, the intimacy of the moment? He comes into their home. He is appealed to personally on her behalf. He comes close. He bends over her. And then he uses his authority personally for her. Jesus is not this aloof and distant savior. No, he is right there at her bedside holding her hand. One of the things I think that Luke wants us to see here is that, that Jesus is not just healing strangers that are just passing by. No, Jesus is in Simon's home meeting his wife and his mother-in-law who is in need of his help. This is the personal authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which he sees each of us. And it's underlined, by the way, in the next set of passages. Look at the next scene, verse 40 and 41. We read there that when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. So the picture here that we're seeing is just a long day in the life of Christ. The Sabbath had come to close. It seems that the sun had set. And with the Sabbath over, the people had heard about this healer and they come to where he's at. They come in droves. And then judging from the beginning of verse 42, by the way, if you kind of look forward, it looks like it, this might have happened to take almost all the night. So the sun goes down, Jesus is in this living room, and he spends his evening healing the crowds of people, spending his time one after another. I wonder what it would have been like to, to sit there in that living room that night, to, to sit and just watch as as Simon's mother-in-law served the groups of people coming in, and to sit and to see person after person just coming through the door with what Luke says were various diseases, so each with a different illness or problem, just walking through the door and then walking out healed. Imagine perhaps all the different types of people that came in from around that town, all the, the different types of illnesses that walked in, this, this living room had, had almost turned into this field hospital as people had come and were helped and then left. 
And in the, the center of this, this flurry of activity in this room is one man giving individual attention to each person. Did you see how Luke emphasized that for us? He said, all of those who had any who were sick brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Isn't it interesting here that, that Jesus didn't just do some mass pronouncement and choose to cure the whole village at one time? I mean, and surely he could have. He could have just spoken, and anyone who was there within the area immediately healed. But no, he lays his hands on every one of them, one by one, coming in. One scholar uh, talks about how Jesus' miracles are often uh, seen as living parables or parables in action to demonstrate and teach something about the nature of God. That Jesus is healing the way that he works with a purpose, to teach us, like a living parable. Well, here we have what I believe is a living illustration for how Jesus cares for those that he heals, the care that he gives. Friends, if you're a member at this church, you probably hear me speak a lot about our corporate body. I love to think about how our church is one body together. We assemble, we covenant together as a whole. Unlike the, the, congregate, the culture around us, we are not just individualistic, thinking only of ourselves. And that's right and good. But notice here the emphasis that's being placed in Scripture. Not only are we one body and known by God as a church, but God knows each of us individually as well. Each of us need Christ's good authority. Each of us must come to Christ and submit ourselves under him to his lordship, personally, individually. So our faith is, is both corporate, in a sense, and it is also personal. I wonder, have you personally experienced the good lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you personally submitted your life to him? Uh, friends, this is what Christians talk about when they think about the message of the gospel. We believe that we were separated from God in our sin, and that God chose to send his son, Jesus Christ, to take the payment for our sin, to, to bridge the gap, as it were, to bear the wrath that our wrongs deserved so that anyone who would trust in Jesus Christ could have their sins forgiven and be made new. John calls it like having a new birth. Anyone who would look to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ would no longer be the same, but they would have a new Lord, a new authority. I wonder, have you embraced this authority of King Jesus in your life. Well, let me just pause here as we're thinking about Christ's authority and how it's, it's personal. Church, let me just give you a couple brief applications. If Jesus has this type of personal authority, what should this mean for you? First, number one, you should cry out to him in prayer. You should pray. 
That's what Simon's family did, isn't it? Verse 38, they appealed to him on her behalf. Friends, Scripture says that we are children of God. I, I love it when I think of my children. I love it when they come to me with their needs. I love being a dad that gets to help out my kids. They present their request to me, and I can go in and so often, so easily just fix the problem. How much more so with our Heavenly Father, who has perfect control and sovereignty, how much more so should we turn to him and cry out to him in prayer? Second, if Jesus' authority is a care that is personal for us, his church, friends, let me encourage you, your love for his church should also be personal. First Boynton, Jesus loves each and every person in his body. What right do we have to do otherwise? We should love what Jesus loves, and he loves his church. So you should know your church and love them. Thirdly, if Jesus' authority is a care that's personal, you should have confidence in his knowledge of you. John 14, 10, 14 says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Christ sees and knows every one of you. He knows every one of his sheep. And so you can trust him. Trust Christ's authority. It is a personal, loving authority. Number three, why should you trust Christ's authority? Its extent is comprehensive. Look at the, how this passage ends in verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So after a long night, apparently, Jesus steps away. Perhaps he was going off to get rest before moving on. We're not told why. And yet, even there, as he steps away into this desolate place, the people came after him. And we see then Christ's heart. He tells us explicitly the purpose for why he came, why he's doing the ministry he's doing. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So the kingdom of God, when we think about this term, think about the, the rule of God over his people. We see the purpose of Christ's ministry was to establish his reign. He came and inaugurated his reign through his arrival, and he will one day come again and consummate his reign when he returns. The central ministry of, the central purpose of Jesus' ministry was proclaiming this new rule of God. He came to announce God's rule. And he did this with a, a priority on the word we see here. He, yes, he, he did heal many physically. But it's not his healing which he seems to emphasize primarily. It's the message of what he brings for eternal healing, not just the physical healing of that day. But what I want you to see here as we close is that this, the movement of this passage is not just that Jesus' reign has come, but the text is emphasizing his reign is over all people. Do you see that? It's, it's comprehensive. 
it wasn't just for the town of Capernaum. It was for other towns as well. And this is kind of the flow of the text if you, if you look back up. It starts with one synagogue in verse 33, and it ends with many synagogues in verse 44. It starts with one demoniac, and it ends with many demons being thrown out. It starts with one disease of Simon's mother-in-law, and it moves to healing a variety of diseases. Luke wants us to see the comprehensive scope of Jesus' authority. It is spreading out. And this is what we'll see throughout the book of Luke. And then as we move on to part two in the book of Acts, if you were to read that, you'd see his authority is this expansive, comprehensive authority over all peoples. He is a universal king over all. Friends, we should rejoice in this. The reign of Jesus Christ extends to all people everywhere. Abraham Kuyper says it this way. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. This shaped how Jesus shares the gospel. This should shape how you share the gospel. Church family, we should grow in sharing the gospel with others. And we grow by seeing that Christ's authority extends to every corner of the world. So just imagine a, a new king comes in and takes over a territory. Imagine he, he fights off the army, and he removes the tyrant, and he establishes himself in the capital, right? And then imagine that new king sends out servants to tell the surrounding villages that the tyrant has gone, that there's a new king. Well, some of the towns and villages around that king might not immediately believe it. They might still think that the tyrant is in charge. But their disbelief doesn't change the fact that there's a new king. He's still king, even when they don't believe it. And so his servants should go out confidently, should they not? This is how it is with us. We go out to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, and we don't go out timidly. We go out humbly, yes, but confidently knowing that Jesus Christ really is king. And so Peter says, set aside Christ as Lord in your hearts so that you may be ready to make a defense of the hope that is within you. Scott Oliphant puts it this way, wherever you go, to whomever you speak, Christ is Lord there, and he is Lord over that person. They owe him obedience. The same Christ who rules over you rules over those who oppose him. The fact that someone has not set apart Christ as Lord in their heart in no way detracts from or undermines the central point that he is Lord over all. Friends, we preach the gospel of a king who is Lord over all. Well, we should conclude. We finished the story. Jesus is on his way now to, to teach in other places. Let me just end in our conclusion by just pointing out one final observation of the nature of his authority, which I believe is actually evident across this whole passage. Why should you trust Christ's authority? Because it's good. 
you can trust this authority because it is a good authority. Didn't you see this in the text as we read? Beloved, his authority is good because he is holy. Verse 34. The, the first demon screams out, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. That's right. Jesus is holy. He is without sin, without blemish, without error, without any evil in him. He is perfectly good in his authority. There is never anything but goodness that comes from Jesus Christ. Beloved, his authority is good, and so he is destroying evil. Verse 34, the evil demon comes and assumes that he's come to destroy them. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The answer is yes. 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Beloved, his authority is good, and so he brings healing. This healing flows so naturally out of Jesus constantly because he restores the brokenness of his creation. The, the, notice the text the devil is throwing people down on the ground, and Jesus is raising them up. In his authority, Jesus is constantly raising people up. And he does it in this world, and he does it as he glorifies us in the next. When our brother Desmond goes to be with the Lord, today or tomorrow or whenever it is, he will raise, be raised in a glorified body by this Christ who raises up his saints with his good authority. Beloved, his authority is good, and so people are just flocking to him. Did you see this? Verse 32. This is the constant scene in the Gospels. People don't run from this authority. People run to this authority. Have you ever noticed that with good leaders? It, when there's a good authority, people seek after it. They want to put themselves under it. And that's what's happening in verse 32. The people seek after him and come to him because they know that his rule and his reign is good for them. Jesus is the ultimate good authority. Lastly, brothers, beloved, his authority is good because he brings good news. The kingdom of God comes as a glorious announcement. It's the rule of one that we were made to live under. It's the news that we as sinners can be brought to God. It's the news that you today, if you are in Christ, you could not be more known and you could not be more loved by this king. He is here to lead us. He is here to, to welcome us into his reign. And so, beloved, trust the authority of King Jesus today. Look to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. For one day, our king will return for his own. Let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you for the authority of King Jesus. We thank you that he is good, that he is trustworthy, that we can run to him in the brokenness of our sin, that we can run to him in the brokenness of our lives, and we can trust him. Father, we praise you for Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for him. We thank you for his healing power. We thank you for his holiness. I pray that our church would be a church that readily submits ourselves to him in joy. And we pray this in his name. Amen.